This is Marianne Funk with Portland Tenants United uh, podcast, and I'm here today with Margot Black, an organizer from Portland Tenants United. Jamie Duhamel, an organizer with Portland Tenants United and currently the director of policy for Commissioner U Daily. Awesome. And so today what we're going to be talking about on our podcast is recent updates with relocation assistance and what relocation assistance is. So what I'd like to do with both of you guys, and either one of you can answer or, you know, just take turns, um, is what is the current state of the relocation assistance right now? Well, right now we're looking at making it a long-term policy. When it was originally passed, it was a temporary policy that was set to expire this October, so in about a month or so. What we're looking to do is address some of the more longer-term issues that the the short-term policy has created, um, try to strengthen it in ways that we can, and prevent it from becoming weaker in ways that we can. At this point in time, it looks like it's going to be extended without being changed for about six months, um, and then in about six months' time next spring, we'll have we'll come to the table with a much more robust long-term policy. And then, so what helped it to extend past that point? Is that something you guys have had to do in order to get that to happen? Do you mean the six-month extension? So that's just going to be a council decision because when we wrote the original policy, we wrote in an expiration date, and that was part of the... Um, the deal we had to make in order to gain the votes for a policy that has never been seen anywhere else in the country. Um, We did it quickly, and um, I think that we had to kind of demonstrate that we would be looking at it again, right, that we would be reevaluating its worth. Mm -hmm. Um, The great thing about the relocation policy is that it has definitely demonstrated its worth. And in the face of not getting anywhere on the state level with legislatures turning their back on renters um, here in Portland and across the state, relocation has become the only tool that Portland can use to stabilize families. And I think every council member recognizes that, but there's also recognition that it could be a lot better. Mm -hmm. So um, the six-month extension is going to be an ask that comes before the council probably in September. They're going to vote to extend it, and then we'll reevaluate the entire policy. Later. What has to be reevaluated at that time? Well, I think Margot can really speak to this one because she's been serving on the relocation technical advisory group for months now. Yeah, so we've been looking at um, a lot of different pieces of it uh, and asking, you know, is this good as is or should it be adjusted in some way? Um, one of the things that Portland Tenants United will be advocating for is uh, removing the exemption um, for a landlord, a small landlord, someone who owns only one unit, but replacing that with a hardship appeals process. So if you do have that landlord who um, you know only owns the one rental unit and they they have to um, no cause evict or they have to raise the rent by more than ten percent for various reasons, and it really is a financial hardship for them to pay that relocation to their displaced tenant, then ideally there is a, a pot of money um, you know maybe uh, that lives at the city that can subsidize that uh, or partially subsidize that so that uh, for those you know truly um, uh, sympathetic edge cases, uh, that landlord isn't financially destabilized, but uh, we don't want their, their tenant to be financially destabilized either. So right now we're seeing a lot of tenants who are not getting the relocation simply because their landlord owns one unit. 
regardless of what their landlord's financial circumstances are. Um, and some of them are even getting very smug rent increase or no cause eviction notices, you know, ha ha ha, I don't have to pay. <laughs> and so we want to, um, you know, we, we really feel like all tenants deserve protections. There are no, in state law, where all the landlords have their rights, there are no exemptions for, you know, small tenants. <laughs> so right. we want to uh, make that more equitable. Um, so that is one of the big changes that PTU is pushing for in a permanent policy. We'd also like to see the... Um, the the ten percent um, limit or the rent increase uh, lowered to five percent. Um, landlords have told us that they're just going to be raising the rent by nine point nine percent every year. And while that's better um, for the tenants who are getting twenty, thirty, forty, fifty percent rent increases, um, a nine point nine percent rent increase every year, every you know for five years, say if if city council has in some way said that is an acceptable amount ends up being a 60% rent increase over five years. And, and so it's very quickly unaffordable. And so we, we, we don't want to, um, you know, essentially co-sign on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it also leaves out, um, you know, our lowest income tenants for whom a much smaller increase is actually uh, displacement inducing. And so we want to um, advocate for, uh, for lowering that to 5% and then even then possibly having a hardship appeals process for uh, rent increases lower than that for tenants who are priced out by a smaller increase um, and and really um, still need that relocation assistance or some opportunity to negotiate with their landlord. Uh, we'd also like to see a lot of a lot more education around the policy um, in the notices that go out, you know, advising the tenants of their rights um, to relocation assistance and their obligations to request it. Uh, we'd like to see um, a, you know, a lot of education for uh, tenants who are non-native English speakers and really make sure that they don't feel uh, confused about um, how to collect the relocation or scared about doing it. We're looking into some possible ways to protect against retaliation. Right now we have some tenants who don't want to ask for relocation if they are worried that their landlord will then give them a bad rental reference to the next place. And so they'd rather ask for it after they've secured a new place. Um, We also have a, a couple tax issues um, where maybe undocumented uh, tenants are being asked to sign W-9s to receive it. And then they that, um, of course, makes them feel unsafe about their uh, status. And so there's, you know, those are some of the little fixes. But the big one is the exemption and the cap on the rent increase. And because you, you mentioned, too, as far as there being some funding there available in case the landlord isn't able to provide that relocation. Where would that money come from? Well, that's a good question. Um, That's currently not part of the general fund budget or the Portland Housing Bureau's budget. Um, I would say that the commissioner that I work for is not a fan of that idea. She doesn't feel like the city should be taking on that burden because, quite frankly, we're taking on a whole lot of burdens that have been created by uh, this crazy housing market. And so she really feels like if we're going to create a system where the landlord can apply for hardship, that the city loan them the money, right? Mm. That they, the landlord is still responsible for those payments, but we allow them to stretch that out Mm. and pay us back. Um, But we don't want to be shifting the burden to the city. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and I know that, you know, this has been out there, this information has been out there already, but for people who are listening to our podcast and they don't know what relocation assistance is, can you guys break that down for them so that they have a better understanding and if they are somebody who's going to need it so that they know how to go about that? 
<clears throat> so um, there are two events that uh, would uh, entitle a tenant to relocation assistance. If the landlord um, gives the tenant a no-cause eviction, and that could be in the form of not renewing their lease or substantially changing the terms of their lease um, or just terminating their month-to-month -month tenancy, um, then uh, in that case, you know, the tenant has no choice but to move and the landlord has to pay relocation assistance. The other uh, scenario is when a landlord raises the rent by more than 10% over a 12-month period. Um, so it could be, you know, a 5% rent increase now, but they raised it, you know, 6% earlier in the year, and that would, would uh, qualify a tenant who uh, tells their landlord, hey, I cannot uh, afford that rent increase. So if a, if a tenant looks at that rent increase and says, I cannot afford that, then they have 45 days to notify their landlord that they will be terminating their tenancy because they cannot afford the rent increase and request relocation assistance. Then the landlord has... 31 days to pay them that and then that particular tenant since they're not being forced to move through the termination of tenancy but displaced by um, just the rent being too high we call that an economic eviction uh, they can then pay that new higher rent for six months before they actually terminate their tenancy to give them some time to maybe get through the school year or um, you know or make plans to you know buy a house or whatever it is but uh, find new housing and use that relocation to to secure that new housing so um, for, st for tenants in studio apartments, it's uh, $2,900. Um, for tenants in one-bedrooms, it's $3,200. In two-bedrooms, it's $3,900. And in three-bedrooms or bigger, it's $4,500. Mm -hmm. For the no-cause eviction, uh, the tenant doesn't have to do anything to get that. The landlord has to um, pay it to the tenant within 45 days of, um, of terminating their tenancy. Okay. okay, let's reflect a bit on the process that you guys have gone through um, in establishing this ordinance. You know, how long have both of you been working on getting it to the point that it is? Well, Margo and I, uh, on behalf of Portland Tenants United, has be have been um, working on relocation in the terms of a larger Tenants' Bill of Rights for quite a long time, I'd say about a year and a half now. It was one of the original pieces that we um, proposed with then-candidate Ted Wheeler when he was running for mayor uh, in the primary season of 2016. So... Um, we really considered relocation at that time to be um, a plan B to what we felt was the best ask of a rent freeze and a moratorium on no-cause evictions. What we were getting a lot of pushback on by um, not only the city but um, other kind of legal opinions was that a rent freeze based on this emergency clause in state law was not going to be the foundation that was going to allow us to um, make that happen. Margo can probably um, uh, talk about that a little further. But in a sense, what happened is that once Chloe Udaley got elected to the council and I got hired to be part of her transition team, the very first thing that I did was go to our city attorney's office and sit down with them and say, let's make a rent freeze possible and a moratorium and no-cause evictions. Let's talk about this state law. How can we make this happen on a local level? And what became very clear from um, that office is that they felt there was absolutely no legal way that we could um, win in court 
mm-hmm. um, if if the council decided to do that. They gave us about a 25% chance of winning, which isn't terrible, right? But um, what that had to be coupled with was some political will to go forward anyway and to take on that lawsuit and that potential um, loss. Mm-hmm. At that time, my assessment was that there weren't, wasn't the political will to do that. There was some pretty solid pushback from all of the elected's offices that they weren't willing to engage in that kind of legal fight. Um, they didn't think it would make them look very wise, I guess, at that time. And so, um, and that all happened in December of 2016. In January, second of 2017 it was the day we took office officially um, I presented the idea to our team and to Commissioner E. Daly and they loved it and um, the idea of of creating a relocation ordinance as a plan B and we really saw relocation as just this opportunity to say to landlords look there's nothing we can do to stop you we understand that legally like there's you can no cause evict your tenants and you can raise the rent as much as you want state law allows you to do that but if you're going to do that you're going to have to pay um, you're going to have to demonstrate that you are or at least recognize that you are causing and exacerbating this housing crisis that you are displacing and destabilizing families across the city and you should bear part of the burden of that you know, we, the city uh, and tenants more than anybody, um, but also the city are also paying um, exorbitant amounts for resources for families who don't have anywhere to go, who are on the streets, who are literally working full-time jobs and have children, but cannot get into housing. That's a burden that we're bearing, taxpayers are bearing, tenants are bearing um, at a really disproportionate rate. And so... Um, I guess it's, uh, it's kind of all of a fog now, but I would say in (laughs) one month period of time, uh, I worked with our attorneys. I worked with advocates like Portland Tenants United and other community advocates, um, worked with every elected office and we crafted a really basic, um, but direct ordinance that would, you know, require these payments. So I think... When I reflect on how that happens so quickly, because I've been told that that's extraordinary, (laughs) that the um, not only because the ordinance itself was so unique and so powerful, but also because we got it done so quickly in our first month of um, being in office. I reflect on how that happened, and it is all because of the work that folks like Portland Tents United did leading up to the time that we got into office. The public pressure was so intense on these electeds to do something to help families. Uh, the community pressure was so intense. We at that time had um, at least two, maybe even more, very large apartment buildings that were in the process of being either evicted or their rents were being raised um, over 100%. So there were, I mean, swaths of low-income families who were about to hit the streets all at once. It was extraordinarily... um, I I can't even describe the feeling. Every day that I was working on this ordinance, I was... Um, intensely aware that if we didn't make this happen and if we didn't make it happen quickly, um, that there would be a lot of people in a major amount of distress. And it, um, I guess it's really hard to describe that sense of like, I have all the ability to make this change, but I have to make sure that everybody agrees with me. Um, 
but it happened. And, um, and I really just want to make sure that what I'm communicating now is that it really wasn't about our office that made it happen. Uh, it was really about the community and the tenants and the, um, combined public pressure that was put on city hall that made that happen. Do you have anything to add to that, Marco? No, I mean, I think Jamie said it pretty well. We just, uh, we needed to do something about the rent increases and the no-cause evictions. And as Jamie said, you know, we had two buildings that had just very recently, uh, one had been completely no-cause evicted. The other was looking at uh, rent increases of double or more. And uh, and and if a rent freeze wasn't on the table, we're not allowed to do rent control. Uh, we did have the legal opinion um, from the state legislature that we could do relocation. It wasn't preempted by state law. And uh, and so we just started pushing for that as part of the as part of the plan B. And it, um, it really was very uh, exciting in terms of being able to get buy in so quickly from um, from city council, who did feel that extreme pressure and was probably glad to not have to do the rent freeze. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it, yet, <laughs> you know, we're not done pushing for that if, if needed, but, um, uh, it was very intense organizing all of the testimony, um, and building the community support and, and really explaining to people what this would do and why it was necessary and, um, and, and, uh, you know, pushing back on, um, on le- landlords and the landlord lobby who, um, you know, sort of trotted out their very typical, threats Mm -hmm. of how they would punish tenants or deliberately make the housing crisis worse by selling their units and getting out of the market. Um, But I feel like, you know, we we really got, um, we had so much great community support and tenant testimony at city council that even the landlords themselves conceded on um, their little blog called biggerpockets.com that they didn't have a chance, you know, that uh, the stories from tenants were just too horrendous. And we were too well organized, and, and they weren't, you know. Um, I mean, it, how do you justify kicking someone out for no reason when, you know, they like to say, oh, they have to use no-cause evictions for problem tenants, dangerous tenants. Uh, you know, we have a four-cause eviction process that, that works. They'll still be able to use that. Um, you know, they won't have to pay relocation for their for their tenants in those situations. You know, how do you justify rent increases of over 10% when in a healthy housing market, which they all claim to want, they say, well, just, just build more. In a healthy housing market, rent increases, first of all, just all the rents would be lower, period. And rent increases wouldn't be going up more than 3 to 5% a year at the very most. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to, uh, essentially, it was on them to justify why they needed to continue these practices or to bring other solutions to the table, and they did neither. And that was really exciting. You know, it was really, um, it was an intense month of organizing around it. But, um, you know, when we had the unanimous city council vote after six hours of testimony, I think. Six and a half and we bawled. We bawled. Bawled hard. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we, we <laughs> bussed uh, members of the Normandy complex down to, no, I'm sorry, not Normandy, but Titan Manor. That was the building that had been completely no cause evicted. Um, most of them don't speak English, uh, you know, very tight community, a lot of family members living in apartments next door to each other. Uh, they, you know, were devastated beyond words to, you know, think that they had 
that their community was going to be separated. They were all going to have to move. And so they came in and um, gave testimony through a translator and, and through some English-speaking um, tenants as well. And it was just... It was uh, such a, a wonderful moment to realize our power and see the reward of, um, of, of organizing tenants and saying, hey, uh, you're not alone, this isn't right, and together we really can fix this, um, and, and, and just see the results so quickly afterwards. I mean, the rent increases were rescinded, the no-cause evictions were rescinded, I think we, you know, we obviously got a, um, a whole lot of input. We, we're still receiving input. It, it is still the number one call that I receive in my voicemail box is questions about Relo. How do I get it? How do I enforce it? Uh, you know, what is it? Those kinds of things. Um, so we're still dealing with that. But immediately after, it was clear just how powerful that ordinance is and, and remains. Um, the One of the unintended consequences that I actually didn't um, fully think about was that um, right after relocation passed, we got a um, an email from one of our um, inspectors from the Bureau of Development Services. And they're the folks who get calls from tenants that say, you know, my house is falling apart or there's a bunch of problems and or there's mold or whatever. And so these inspectors go out and they, you know, um, issue violation notices and things like that. But um, in uh, a rental environment that we have, lots of folks aren't doing that, right? They really fear any kind of repercussions. They fear their rent going up because, you know, uh, fixes had to be made. They fear being no cause evicted because um, why deal with a problem tenant who's going to complain, right? Just put in another person who's not going to open their mouths. And apparently immediately after, um, a woman who had been living in substandard housing for over nine years called and said, um, you know, please come and inspect our home. This is the first time I felt safe asking for this kind of help because I know now if they kick me out, you know, I'm going to get relocation. So um, those types of situations were extremely gratifying. But I feel like um, even with relocation, there's still so much more that we can do, right? And it and it is still no substitute for overturning the ban on no-cause evictions. It is still no substitute for being able to have some local control over what a rent stabilization um, standard would look like for Portland. So we're still fighting for those things. We don't think relocation is the absolute end-all be-all, but it is a really, really good tool we have now. And speaking of that, you know, when do you guys feel like you can finally take a breath after all this time that you've been working on this and say, we're finished. We've accomplished what we wanted to accomplish. I mean, oh, no. what does that look like <laughs> to you? <laughs> this is just the beginning. Right. There are so many things. I mean, there are so many things. There, The problem is that Portland and, and the state of Oregon as a whole, but I can only speak to Portland, um, has really just ignored tenants for decades, right? Has just never, ever had the foresight to be, say, what is it going to look like in this city in another 10, 20, 30 years? How are we going to accommodate this, you know, not rapidly growing housing market? How are we going to prepare? You know, like there's just been no talk about how the landlord and the rental relationship is. Um, How can we protect the most vulnerable people in our community? Um, It's really mind blowing to me because 
um, you know, it's a big city. Like <laughs> I come from a really rural part of the country, uh, very small towns, and we have stronger tenant protections where I come from than in this big city of Portland. So I think there's a lot of catching up to do. I mean, there's just a lot of foundation laying that we have to do right now. It, for example, we're working on a security deposit policy that is not radical. I mean, it's not extraordinary. It is really kind of a basic foundation security deposit uh, protection policy that exists in most of the country. Um, so it feels radical to people who are not ready for change and who are really, really profiting from a lack of regulations, um, who have really taken advantage of a business model that allows them to do whatever they want without any kind of oversight or repercussions. Um, so there's a lot of getting used to it for that. I think there's going to be significant turnover in the rental market. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to get out of the business and hand it over to other people who know how to deal with rules, right? Um, so I'm pretty excited about all the work we have to do. I feel like um, I ha I'm in a position to have four years, well, three and a half now, and I'm just going to try and do as much as I possibly can to leave a better legacy for tenants mm. on the way out. You feel that way too? Like I know because you're with Portland Tenants United and you're doing, Margo, like, well, you both are doing stuff for Portland Tenants United that's pro bono. You're not getting paid to do that. So, I mean, there's so much of your time that's involved in that. Is this something you're in for the long haul? I, I mean, I don't think that we've won until any, everyone can rent without fear, mm -hmm. you know, and, and know that uh, it doesn't matter if they pay their rent to the bank or to their landlord, that um, they can make a home of that if they need to. And that if they take, you know, care of their rental and, 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 you know, take care of their neighbors and take care of their community that, uh, they won't be kicked out of it, you know, just because their wages didn't go up as much as, you know, quote unquote, the market, mm -hmm. um, uh, or, or for any other, uh, reason. And I think, you know, there's a lot of questions about what it's going to take to get there. Uh, there's so the, the housing, um, housing are, uh, are, are, are people, <laughs> is a really complex um, ecosystem. Um, you know, we, we say housing is, is a human right, and it is. And I, you know, I believe that in the core of my soul, it's a basic human need, and I don't think anybody should go without housing any more than they should go without water and food and um, healthcare. Um, you know, but it is, uh, it, it is a complex problem to solve. Um, and, you know, personally, I don't think that it is going to be adequately solved while we treat housing as a commodity, while it is um, a way that uh, is used to, to generate wealth, whether for individuals to pass on to their families or, you know, for corporations or whatever. Um, and so, you know, I think relocation is, is huge. As Jamie mentioned, it's the only, um, essentially the only economic eviction policy in the country, you know, not tied to rent control. Um, and, uh, and it, you know, it's made a huge impact. I feel like at least on relocation, I don't feel like we'll be done until we have addressed the, um, the exemption and pushed it out further than the city of Portland. You know, right now the, the housing crisis and, and the pressures of, of, of it do not end at Portland's boundaries. And in fact, a lot of people have been pushed out of Portland um, and now are outside of Portland and now they're unprotected. Um, you know, some of our founding members don't live in Portland anymore. They live in Oregon City. Um, one of our, uh, a tenant who is just about to move because her lease wasn't renewed and she's getting relocation, 
Uh, she's moving to Troutdale, which means, you know, she won't have the security of knowing that if she's pushed out again, she'll have relocation unless we can push it out to, you know, all of Multnomah County. So, um, yeah, so I, 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 I don't know when we'll breathe a sigh of relief, but maybe, um, well, you can loosen our belt a little bit if we close the exemption and expand the policy to, uh, to more than just Portland. Um, I think that'll be a, a, a really big step in the right direction, but there's just still so much work to be done um, to get, you know, just to make sure that when people are pushed out, they have that real check, right, which is great, but can they find housing? You know, <laughs> can they get accepted into that housing? You know, how much of that is going to go toward application fees and security deposits? And, and you know, and if their landlord is really pissed off about having to write that check, how much, what is their landlord going to say to them in that rental reference process, which is hugely unregulated and a uh, profound source of, of uh, housing discrimination. And, um, you know, there's just, there's so many pieces of the puzzle that still have to be um fit together, but I, I feel like the relocation assistance um, was a really, a really, really big deal. Mm-hmm. Margo brings up a really good point about the ways in which we view housing, and um, it's one of the things I was trying to allude to earlier, which is the city just doesn't view, and Metro and the state doesn't view housing as just essential infrastructure, right? We pour millions and millions and millions of dollars into transportation and building those roads, and we have these long-range visions of, like, where we're going to expand and when and what's not working and what is working, where are the high-risk corridors, right? How do we get people where they need to go faster, smoother, Um we do those for all sorts of different, you know, things. Um, we view it as a essential livability uh, infrastructure for people in the city. And yet we don't see housing in that same way at all. And so it's a good point, right? You get kicked out and you get reload, but where are you going to spend that check if the housing doesn't even exist? And so that's certainly um, one of the other complicated factors of, you know, we can't just work on tenant protections. We can't just work on, you know, these pieces that really has to all be seen as a large um, complicated conglomerate issue. Um, and we as a city, we haven't done a very good job of kind of having an overarching plan and view of housing. What Not only just what it looks like now, but what it will look like in the future and, and have a real kind of combined, efficient, effective approach to dealing with all of that. So um, we're at a place where we're just kind of piecemealing it together, which is uh, an exciting place to be, but it's also uh, fairly overwhelming. Um, so it means we have a lot of work to do, but we also really need to make sure that we're doing that work in a way that makes sense. We don't want to be doing things now that really mess up our ability to do things better in the future. So I know our office particularly, but um, this is an issue that comes up so much with landlords is this kind of supply and demand question, right? And to some degree, that's right. Like we have to have enough housing for people to go into. You know, the Joint Office of Homeless Services last year, they um, house or sheltered about 8,500 people. That's not 8,500. You know, it's like people who were there for a couple months and then left and that kind of thing. But over the the year, 8,500 people were in shelter. Um, They prevented about 6,000 people from becoming homeless. And then they placed almost 5,000 people into into housing. But even with all of that work, there's still about 4,000 people on the streets. Um, 
a, a large majority of them have incomes. It's not like these are those kind of, you know, typical, stereotypical homeless people that that uh, landlords and others. Work. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Who don't want to work, who have other, you know, addiction or mental health issues. These are folks who have incomes, um, have lives, seek stability and have absolutely no mechanism for that. Mm-hmm. So we're working on that piece as well. So if there are other areas such as Troutdale or Gresham or Salem or Eugene who are going through the same thing and they're looking at starting something what you guys have done here, should they reach out to you and collaborate or do you have some advice for them and, and how they can get something started in their communities and start reaching out to, because you know what, we all answered, we all have to go to Salem at some point, right? So are there things you want to suggest for those guys if they're in the same situation? Well, from my end, that work has already begun. We've certainly um, been in contact with other communities. Certainly, we've had other governments reach out to us. We've had governments from across the country reach out to us. We've been talking with folks in New York who are very interested in what we did with relocation. Berkeley is really interested in what we did. Um, Seattle is looking at passing a policy. There's all... I mean... This really is unique to the rest of the country, and people are studying its effects. Um, folks who have a much deeper pockets in Portland and much larger interest in. Um, so it's really, really exciting what's happening. Um, I would say, obviously, from my perspective, being in the office, we're limited in, in what we can do and how we can push it. But I think this is a perfect thing that um, folks like you know, in Portland Tenants United can collaborate with other people in the state to make sure that they are also utilizing this opportunity. I mean, we have, we also have to be careful, right? Like I am not willing to, to talk about, at least in the state, which of the communities have reached out to us because I fear that the opposite thing is going to happen. That once the landlord lobby knows that this is spreading, then they're going to do everything they can to stop that. And, and that could even mean a preclusion on the statewide level. Um, we don't want our only tool right now to be taken away from us. So um, we're trying to be cautious but optimistic. So from my perspective, outside of, outside the building, if you will, <laughs> um, I think that uh, tenants who are who want to see this come to their cities um, need to start organizing, you know, and that can just be as simple as just finding a few friends who, who rent in the same building, same neighborhood, same city, whatever, and just, you know, starting to meet and talk um, and just convince themselves that they want to do this. Um, I feel like an, one of the effective strategies for PTU in moving this was um, getting to know the city council members. Um, and uh, that doesn't necessarily mean becoming friends with them, um, but getting to know them so that uh, they, you know, we, we sort of knew what their motivations were. We knew what their, um, uh, you know, what their concerns were um, so that we could uh, address those, you know, through public testimony or, or you know, and in, in kind of get ahead of that messaging as we were developing the policy or pushing for it. Um, so I think it's really important to, you know, even just start going to city council meetings and just realizing that citizens, you know, actually have a voice. Um, and perhaps it's not loud enough and starting to kind of demand that it be heard louder if that's what needs to happen. Um, and meeting with their commissioners and asking, quite, what are we doing about tenants' rights? Why aren't we doing what Portland's doing? And just finding out what they what they say. Um, and uh, and 
you know, I think that's where it needs to start. In terms of the state preempting it, I mean, I just like I just refuse to believe that um, we'll let that happen. I mean, I think they'll try. I think they tried in this last session. Um, but uh, I think that, you know, once you have something that is doing so much good, uh, the state would have a lot of explaining to do if they want to take that away. If they're like, actually, we think that no cause evictions and rent increases over 10 percent are perfectly okay and you know, um, that, again that's not to say they won't try but I just feel like there are enough people who are paying very close attention at this point to um, to push back very 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 hard on that although you know Jamie's um, concern is completely valid um, whether the landlords try to accomplish that preemption at the state or whether they you know they try to stack city council with their own people um, you know or or uh, extract promises from city councils across the state or county commissions across the state to, you know, not let this see the light of day. That is a very valid, real uh, threat. And, um, you know, I do, I think that no matter how much the landlord lobby tries to win in backroom deals, that tenants can still prevail through organizing, through daylighting those relationships Um you know, demanding accountability from their policymakers running for office if those policymakers won't be accountable. I mean, Chloe winning was really, uh, Commissioner Udaley, it made our demands and our campaign, it, it just completely legitimized all of them, right? Because here was this underdog, underfunded candidate running against um, a well-endorsed incumbent. You know, he wasn't super popular, um, but uh, nobody on the inside, if you will, uh, thought that um, he would be unseated and certainly not by um, Commissioner Daly. And so when she won and when she won so handily, I mean, it wasn't even close mm -hmm. in the general election. Um, it was a real wake up call that, uh, you know, that inaction isn't we're not just going to sit around and be like, oh, man, what can we do next? You know. <laughs> so were all of you guys so. friends prior to this coming together, including with Commissioner Daly? that you were having these conversations um, or was it that once you knew she was running that you guys had already been working on something and you started talking to her? There were a lot of different online conversations happening um, maybe uh, in, in earnest close to a year before summer Chloe. of 2015. Yeah, okay. summer of 2015. There was uh, there were very healthy, vibrant Facebook groups. Uh, Chloe um, was the admin for one called That's a gosh darn shed mm -hmm. um and I are we not allowed to swear on, on podcasts <laughs> <laughs> i think so it's not on regular radio i was the admin for pdx renters unite through um through just a lot of kind of growing like what are we going to do what are we going to do that portland tenants united started meeting this summer of 2015 um we really you know for the first several months we were just meeting and like so how, like how are we going to do any of this right like what does this look like and um and then Jamie, for example, and, and several others came in um, in like January. Um, we had a big open house, which was kind of like, come meet PTU. And it was after we had successfully um, prevented uh, an eviction of um, a long-term resident who had been given a no-cause eviction after 33 years in his apartment complex. And so that kind of put us on the map. But then uh, Jamie came um, into PTU. Several others did around that same time. I think by then, and like I said, Chloe was was running um, the shed, and she and I, you know, we were in each other's groups. We were talking a lot. Uh, Community Alliance of Tenants, um, largely because of the 
agitation that we had done in our respective groups, the executive director of Community Alliance of Tenants at that time, Justin Burry, got together with Chloe and I over the summer of 2015 and said, everyone, you know, wants us to do something. So we're going to do something. We're going to do renter SOS. That happened in September of 15. And that got tenants in Portland 90-day um, notices on uh, no-cause evictions and rent increases, where it had been um, basically 30-day notices before. Um, and so a lot of momentum was building through those Facebook groups, through PTU kind of growing, um, and uh, and the Community Alliance of Tenants, you know, kind of elevating the issue through their renter SOS campaign. Um, we all knew each other, you know, especially as more people came into PTU. Once Jamie came into PTU, she was a really big part of PTU. Then Chloe won the primary. That was Chloe won the primary, and that was after. Then you joined her campaign, and we started working more on her campaign. And um, it kind of all coalesced for me in that Renter SOS mm-hmm. um, September rally because I had been just online, you know, mm-hmm. involved. Uh, I went to that rally. It was the first one since I moved to Portland. Um, super excited about it. And that's the moment when I met Chloe in person for the first time and introduced myself to her. And then I think it was maybe 15 minutes later, somebody walked by me and I'm pretty sure it was Guy in Austin, now mm. that I reflect back, and handed me a little flyer that said, you know, we're trying to organize. Are you interested in being in a renter's union kind of thing? It was this little thing. And I was like, I love unions. And boy, I love, you know, power to the people. Yes. Like, uh, and so I started to kind of find my path then. I first started organizing with or, or trying to volunteer with CAT, um, did a little work there. But then by January, I joined up with Ted Wheeler's campaign oh, yeah, team. That's right. um, and shortly after joining up with Ted's team. And the reason I, I started working on his campaign is because he was the only candidate at that time who was very openly talking about housing and the rent crisis and um, tenant issues. And I was really excited about that. I think Margot had already started working with him. And so he had some of those narratives and was publicly talking about it. And so I joined with his campaign because I was really happy to hear him say that. And that's what I do. I work in politics. And then I um, started joining PTU's meetings and helped kind of bridge that gap. I think mm-hmm. that's when we um, were more actively working on political advocacy type issues. Um, so PTU got, I wouldn't say fairly super involved with Wheeler, but involved with the primary campaign and, you know, had its own... Um, forum to talk about housing issues. It was PTU that I feel really, really forced and um, blew up the the entire conversation around tenants' rights and the housing crisis during that primary campaign. They made housing the number one talking point in every single opportunity, right? Every candidate had no choice but to talk about it. And it became really, really, really clear which candidates knew what they were doing, which ones didn't, and which ones had a real vision for helping tenants moving forward. And um, I think that same mentality carried over into the general election. And it, and it's what um, got Chloe such a, a huge win because um, tenants are hungry for the change and for you know, help and for leadership to recognize that they are in such crisis and in vulnerable positions and ready to help them. So, so in this year, okay, if you guys had to estimate how much time you have put in to bringing this to fruition this year, 
what is that for you? Like how many hours and what have been the high points and some of the low points that you guys have faced over this year? Do you specifically mean the relocation ordinance? Yeah, the relocation ordinance, you know, looking and, you know, fighting what's going on for renters' rights. Okay, you know, just in like general. Just advocacy. in general, because the time that you've been doing this, it's kind of like, I mean, I see what you guys do, but people out there don't know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and you're both working outside of PTU as well, but just with the PTU, how much time do you think you've put into this over this year? Well, I can't speak for Margot, but um, I, I have a large family, right? So I have to definitely balance my time. And I, I spend an inordinate amount of time, not inordinate, I spend a major amount of time right now because I get paid to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm working 40 hours a week, sometimes a lot, lot more on tenant issues and a lot of other things. And I probably don't even come close um, to the amount of time that Margot does. Um, and I, since I've met her, I don't know why I'm making this about her, but um, <laughs> since I met her in September, well, shortly after that, probably around January is when I actually met her face to face. She has lived, eaten, breathed, slept, <laughs> thought about. <laughs> I mean, her every waking moment is about this issue. And so um, I really take a lot of my inspiration from her and her drive and her passion um, to keep me going. Because there's certainly been plenty of times where I'm like, this is a lot of freaking work, right? This is this is building from the ground up in a lot of ways. Yes, there's been a lot of um, tenant support and resources and, and movement in Portland for a long time. But a lot of the specific work that we're doing, like around Relo and this other stuff, it's fairly new. It's a fairly new concept. People are finally willing to talk about it. And so a lot of it feels like starting from ground zero. And um, so whenever I feel like, I'm, you know, I've put in too much time, I'm thinking, no, I haven't put even in a fraction amount of time and I need to up my game because this woman um, is does the work of like five to ten people at any given time. So I, I couldn't put a number to it. I couldn't tell you. Right now, I'm extremely fortunate to be able to work in a field that allows me to focus on tenant protection stuff um, during the day. Um, but other than that, uh, because I'm now working in the field, I actually don't, I don't, um, I'm not part of the organizing committee on PTU anymore. There's definitely a conflict of interest there now that I'm in a decision-making authority kind of role with the city. Um, I can't also be in that kind of leadership role with PTU. So I do a lot of just low-key um, advice type stuff from afar. You know, I show up at some meetings, um, that kind of stuff. So uh, my day gets paid. <laughs> well, how about you? Because you're not getting paid, Margo, as far as a PTU. So what well, drives you? Yeah, I don't get paid for PTU. I get I do have a day job. Yes, you um, do. <laughs> what, what do you do for your day job? For those who I don't work know? at Lewis and Clark College. I I manage the peer tutor center up there. Um, so I hire and staff that, and then I teach um, a couple math classes each semester. Um, so what drives you to keep doing what you're doing in the hours that you put into it? Because I know it's a whole family affair too. Your yeah. husband, your kids, they all help be a part of that. Uh, yes. Yeah, so. You know, my husband is also um, one of the uh, like one of the lead organizers in PTU, and my kids um, are a big part of it. They they come they come around a lot because that's they have nowhere else to be. Um, and my daughter, my nineteen year old daughter, has even gotten a little bit involved. But we also have um, we have about thirty people right now who are like, really um, actively engaged. 
um, you know, who are actually showing up pretty regularly to meetings in person, you know, or canvassing or tabling um, or, uh, you know, really putting in elbow grease. Um, and of course, you know, among those 30, uh, you know, some are putting in more hours a week than others. Um, I probably, I mean, I've never really counted it. If I had to like guess, and of course it depends on whether or not I'm on break from school or not, but um, I probably at the bare minimum put 10 hours, 10 or 12 hours a week and probably more like 30 to 50, um, you know, when I actually have those hours to put in. Um, I mean, there's on any given week, there's probably just at least six hours worth of meetings. Um, and then that doesn't count the, maybe the relocation technical advisory committee meetings that I go to or the actions that we plan and go to or the events that we hold or the canvassing, the emails, the phone calls, um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of time is spent, um, you know, helping tenants who write into our page. We don't, we don't advertise that we do like no, you know, tenants rights stuff, but a lot of people write in with their issues and we, we try to help them if we can or connect them with attorneys. So, you know, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of hours to be put in. There's a lot of people who are taking on a lot of that work. Um, but yeah, I probably um, put in, you know, I mean, maybe on average 20 to 30 a week or something. What drives you to keep doing that? Um, you know, just feeling like, um, just feeling like it has to be done. Uh, you know, I, I, I definitely feel, you know, just a a personal calling with the way the world is right now to be doing something, um, to try to, uh, you know, um, to, to fight oppression and fight for liberation and, you know, economic justice and racial justice. And, um, and to me, this issue feels like something where we can really, um, see very tangible change, um, either through, you know, policies like relocation where just, you know, straight up people aren't getting no cause evictions anymore, these huge rent increases. And that's, you know, that's awesome. Or when they are, they're getting that check and that's, you know, that really helps them as well. Um, you know, so, so you see that, you see that change there. We also, you know, when we just organize tenants in their buildings to, you know, challenge their landlord or to kind of help us build this movement, you really, you see people kind of wake up to this fact that they haven't, um, failed in life by not buying a house, right. you know, that these, that this, um, insecurity that they f feel in their house, this fear of this landlord, this powerlessness, um, against that fear that it's not normal. It's not their fault. They haven't done anything wrong. Um, that it actually, you know, can be better, uh, that we do have power and, um, you know, and people have, have seen that, you know, seen victories from that power through, through relocation, through Chloe winning, you know, even though we didn't win, um, in the legislative session with house bill 2004, just the fact that, uh, there was a bill that lifted the ban on rent control that got through the house. I mean, two years ago, some of the main mm -hmm. lobbyists on that bill, um, told me, you know, it'll be a decade before that conversation can even happen in the light of day. Well, and, and we were the only state where we were even having that conversation. Right, exactly. And this housing crisis exists in many other parts right. of the country. So right. just to just to even get that bill down to Salem and as far through as we did, I mean, of course, it was devastating that it was gutted in the way it was and then ultimately um, not even passed. But the, the fact that you know, it was it, it was even taken as seriously as it was and got as far as it did was, uh, you know, really a, a, a demonstration of uh, the power of the people to organize and make demands. Um, and so getting people to realize that 
that they're not alone and that this can be fixed and that, you know, if they, you know, if they um, just, you know, believe in that and, and, and work towards it, it, you know, we really can change our lives materially has been really rewarding. So when I think about how it's also really emotional and really challenging and, and everything about trying to run an organization is challenging, but also, you know, just the, the stories just don't stop coming, um, you know, about people who've been, you know, basically robbed with their security deposits or denied housing for really awful reasons. You know, right now we're, we have a building in Gresham with four to $500 rent increases and they're making the tenants reapply and show that they can qualify at that new higher rent. So even if they can pay the rent to stay, they still have to show on paper that they make three times the rent. And of course there's going to be new screening criteria that, you know, is going to eliminate them if they've gotten any other blemishes anywhere. And it's just, it's so, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's just highway robbery of dignity. Um, and, you know, so you just, we just keep hearing these, these stories and that's really emotional. I mean, there's so much social work involved when you realize, um, the ramifications of, of housing insecurity and how that impacts people's health and welfare. And, and, um, but when I think about taking a break from it, because it is exhausting, um, you know, I can't think of another way to, uh, you know, give back to society and make the world a better place that feels more um, valuable to me or that feels like the mountain is moving so, um, um, so, you know, easily to me and you know, relatively easily. <laughs> and I would, I think it's important to stress that, you know, the amount of time that someone like Margot puts in is exceptional and not expected right. or um, <laughs> encouraged amongst um, the general membership. And I think that, um, but it's also an indication that there is a shit ton, sorry, crap ton, uh, <laughs> lots of work to do. Right. Um, so there are lots of opportunities for folks who have all sorts of skills to step up and take some of that yes. load off of Margo's back and, and the other 30 people who are, you know, contributing regularly that, that there is no shortage of room for this to expand and to grow. And that the more hands we have working on these issues, the more voices we have at the table, um, from every level, from every, um, corner of the city, the better, right? That that the mountain is moving now through some extraordinary amount of work, but it'll move so much faster and so much lighter and so much easier when we have uh, more people uh, pushing with us. So I just want to encourage anyone who has any time, whether that be an hour, five hours, 10 hours, or 15 hours to give on a weekly basis, just to find what it is that makes them happy, what it is they feel they have talent or skill or an interest even in doing, and just reach out to PTU and find a way to be part of this movement because it's an extraordinary time to be a part of it. Well, you guys like totally answered my last question too. I was going to say for the final thing, is there anything you guys want to say to the community or your hopes for the community? All right. Well, this is again, Marianne with Portland Tenants United um, podcast, and I will put a link so that you guys know where to find us online as well. And I want to thank Marco and Jamie for taking the time that you guys did today. And not just today, but what you guys have been doing for, my gosh, the last really, since 2015, it sounds like, you know, and um, what that means to the rest of us in our community. Because, you know, my husband and I, we're in our 50s. We had to start life over again. 
I have no regrets for where we're living, but we are in a shed in the backyard of someone's home. And that's just because we haven't been able to afford to get out there. But now we're going to have to because that's coming up where we all have to be out because they're going to be selling the house um, after 20 years mm. of, of doing what they've been doing and opening up their community home. And, and that's been a really blessing, too. So I do want to give a shout out to, you know, Steve and Diane Kimes with Anuim Christian Community because they've created a community home mm. for people. Um, and that's been a real blessing. But now their kids are grown they're ready to kind of move forward too so um, it means a lot to have people who are working on that and those issues so thank you